Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Scooted Careers podcast. This is a weekly podcast to help you with the ups, downs, ins and outs of careers today and to share with you tools and insights to help you invest in your development. I'm Helen, one of your hosts, and today is the last episode in our current Ask the Expert series. So instead of me and Sarah, your normal hosts, you've got me and Sophie, Sophie Williams to be precise, and we're going to be talking about progression. Sophie is the author of two books, Anti-Racist Ally, An Introduction to Action and Activism, and Millennial Black, which looks at how black women's intersectional identities, that's blackness plus womenness, shape their experiences at work. Her career has included working in leading advertising agencies and running her own agency, Blanket Fort. And we met through our TEDx London talks, where Sophie's talk on the glass cliff and how it holds back underrepresented groups at work really made me think about our mission at the business that Sarah and I run together, which is to make careers better for everybody. Sarah and I knew that we wanted to cover progression in this Ask the Expert series, and we thought that Sophie's insights and perspectives would be hugely valuable. So I hope you enjoy the conversation, and I would absolutely love to know what you take away. I'll share our email details at the end of the episode, so do get in touch. And don't forget that we've also got the pod sheet, which you can download to support your reflections, and also Pod Plus on Thursday at 9am if you want to join a discussion to dive a bit deeper into the topic of progression. All the links for these will be in the show notes, so hopefully you'll find them there. And if you don't, you can just email us and we'll send you them. So now let's go on to the conversation. Hi, Sophie. Welcome to the Squiggly Craze podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm delighted to have you. I'm talking about progression as well, which I think is a topic that is top of mind for so many of our listeners. And what we often talk about is the importance of progression meaning more than promotion mm. guessing the staircase to squiggle thing and in staircase like careers promotion was the way that people progress but in squiggly careers you know what we really want to do is open up people's eyes to all the different ways they can progress so with progression in mind I'd love to just get your perspective and insights on what do you think despite there being lots of different opportunities perhaps for people to progress in a squiggly career what do you think are some of the challenges some of the barriers that might get in the way of people progressing at work and in their career yeah I think it's a really interesting question and I think what we risk doing is 
presuming that all of the barriers that stop people from progressing are equal and are sort of universal, and that's simply not the case. We know that the barriers that men and women face in their careers are not the same things. We know that the barriers that a Chinese woman versus a black woman versus a Bangladeshi woman faces in their careers, both in terms of expectations, both in terms of outcomes and availability of seniority and positions and all of those things. They're just not equal, so there's not ever going to be a one-size-fits-all sort of answer of this is the thing that stops people. So taking black women as an example, we can see that opportunities for pay rises and promotions or roles with more responsibility that can lead to sort of greater satisfaction, they're not sort of communicated in equal ways. And so people don't have an equality of information available to them to be able to make those choices. We also can see really clearly from so much data that internal sponsorship within businesses really makes a tangible change to people's career prospects if they plan to stay within that business or in fact to leverage their position in the move and we also see that the availability of sponsors again is not equally provided people tend to sponsor people who informal sponsoring relationships we see that people tend to sponsor people who remind them of them we are naturally inclined to like people who remind us of us it's part of the fluency heuristic and so if you are a person who is marginalized in one way or another if you don't represent or remind senior leaders in a business of themselves that's a barrier that's going to stop you from being able to progress because those informal sponsorship relationships are just less available to you so there's all kinds of reasons i think I'm glad you brought up sponsorship, actually. So in this Ask the Experts series, we were also spoken to Sylvia and Hewlett on the topic of sponsorship. So we've got that whole episode of sponsorship, which would probably be a good thing for people to listen to in partnership with this conversation on, on progression. I wonder as well whether you've got any thoughts on if people are going to progress in different ways. So maybe I'm going to take a sideways move into a different department. That would be a potential progression opportunity for me to take the skills and strengths that I've got and use them in a different way. But sometimes people's a fear of failure or, you know, fear of not being kind of good enough can get in their way of seeing progression opportunities that could actually be really interesting for them because the context is different and the challenge might not be one that they're familiar with. Sometimes it can shut them off from exploring a progression opportunity that could actually really help them grow and maybe discover potential they didn't know that they got yet. Yeah, so I think the idea of fear of failure so just so your listeners know, my work is primarily focused on the intersections of race and gender in the workplace with a particular focus on black women's experiences. And so a lot of what I say, because the majority of my research is around that, is based on sort of that context. So when we talk about black women's careers, for example, we see this idea of a fear of failure and not necessarily because of a lack of self-belief, but because in so many, particularly senior business positions, we are so deeply underrepresented. And so when you are the only person like you in a space, what tends to happen is people presume that you represent an entire group and look to you to be a monolithic view and voice of that entire group. And in that case, if you are representing all women, if you're representing all black women, all trans women, all neurodivergent women, that fear of failure is huge because 
you are suddenly representing everyone. And if you fail, that whole group could be seen to have failed. And that's a huge pressure to put on people. I really advocate for not counting yourself out of opportunities. If you look at a job description, if I look at a job description and I'm like, I can do most of this, but not all of this. If it's a thing I think I could do, I'm still going to put myself forward for it because I'm not going to count myself out of that. Someone else who is in that sort of decision-making capacity is very welcome to count me out of that. But I think we need to not discount ourselves from opportunities before giving other people the chance to do that for us, to make their own decisions about whether we are or aren't the right fit for things. I think that's a really important point that I hadn't really considered about the pressure of the fear of failure. I guess a new new insight for me. Another new insight came uh, the term the kind of glass cliff. So I've watched your TEDx talk, I think four, maybe five times now. <laughs> I watched it last night. I watched it on the day that it was live. I've watched it since, both because I loved hearing you talk. I thought it was really compelling in your communications, but also because I thought the topic of your talk was particularly insightful and interesting for me. I wondered if other people aren't familiar with the glass cliff and how that holds people back I wondered if you could kind of give us a bit of a pricey and I will absolutely link the talk so that people can watch the full talk off the back of the podcast today yeah the glass cliff is a situation that underrepresented leaders and in which in this case when I say underrepresented leaders I mean racially marginalized people and women because they are the two groups that the research sort of shows in this find themselves in when they finally manage to break through the glass ceiling so We talk a lot about the glass ceiling being there as this invisible barrier that people can't get through. But we do know that there are some underrepresented people at the most senior levels. People love to say, you know, what about Obama? What about, you know, this one person or one person? They like to sort of make singular examples. And so what we often find when people who are underrepresented or people who have been marginalised break through the glass ceiling is that they find themselves in a new dangerous position that no one really talks about, and that is being on the edge of a glass cliff. So the glass cliff is essentially the research-backed fact that underrepresented people are more likely to be put into positions of leadership when a business, organisation, government, whatever that is, is already in a consistent period of trouble a consistent period of decline. And that could be all kinds of decline. It could be a hit to profits. It could be a reputational scandal. It could be any number of things. But these businesses are in a moment of trouble. And so then we bring in an underrepresented person, a woman or a racially marginalised person, or in the research I do, a woman who is also racially marginalised. And we say to them, we don't even explicitly say, you are a good leader of people. We value your soft skills. We think you can make people feel better. And that's why they give them the jobs. But they don't give them the jobs because of their belief in their ability to make transformational change, whether they have that ability or not. And because they don't have that belief or expectation in that ability, they don't give them the tools or the time that they need to actually make change. And the researchers who looked at this thought that it could be for two reasons. First, in patriarchal societies, women are viewed as caregivers. So it could be that they're brought in for their soft skills. And if they are able to also make transformational change in the business, then great, the business has been transformed, we're back on track. But if they're not able to make transformational change, the other element of this is women in business are often seen as being better scapegoats. And so all of the problems that were existing before she took on that role 
are able to be put onto her shoulders and she's able to be pushed out of the business. And then there's a thing called the saviour effect, which is she is more likely to be replaced by a white man, which signals to everyone, investors, employees, team members, a return to business as usual and a return to a safe pair of hands. And importantly, they are then more likely to be given both the tools and the time to make the change where the woman or marginalised person is seen to have failed. The example people are probably most familiar with, even though it's sort of controversial and difficult and nuanced in other ways, is probably Theresa May, an active, outspoken, non-Brexit believer who then took over when the referendum had happened and David Cameron stepped down. So we had a country and a situation that was in difficulty. We appointed this female leader to make this change and she wasn't able to make this change. And then so she was then pushed out and replaced by Boris Johnson, a white male safe pair of hands, who took essentially a very similar deal, but less than what she was pushing for and was lauded for his success in sort of making this deal. So yeah, we can see it play out in businesses and in much bigger scales. So if we think then about, okay, so what do managers and leaders need to do? So I know you've mentioned the time and the tools. So and sponsorship might be one of those things, like how do we, well, that could be one of the solutions. But I would love to know if we are going to give people progression possibilities that allow them to develop, but we are not going to set them up to fail, we're going to set them up to succeed. What is it that managers and leaders should be doing so that we give them the tools, the time and the support from the outset? Like what would those tools look like? And sponsorship, like I say, that might be one of them, but are there other things that people should be proactively doing to set people up to succeed in those progression opportunities? Absolutely. So we should hire people for their ability to do the job in hand. If that job in hand is to turn a business around, we should hire people, not because we think they're going to make a team feel happy, but because we believe that they can make that change. And then we should support them in the same way that we'd support anyone else who's been brought in to make that change. We can't just bring people in to use as scapegoats or to use as comfort blankets for people we have to go through the same rigor that we would with anyone else and that also then takes away any perception that these people haven't earned their jobs because that's something that we see so much we see so much that when a person who's not a stereotypical leader is put into a position of leadership their ability to do that role is continually questioned and so we're making them do the work twice, making them do the work and then justify the work and then justify that again. And so no one is going to be able to do their best job if they are constantly being challenged. And that's not to say that people shouldn't be able to justify the choices that they make in work. They absolutely should be. There has to be a robust and healthy atmosphere and culture of debate and of challenge and all of that but we have to start with the baseline understanding that these people have been hired because they are the right person for that role and that then shifts the context from them having to justify their right to exist in that space at all. The second thing that researchers found was when someone who is appointed to the most senior leadership in a business so like um, a CEO position isn't both white and male, that layer below them, the senior leadership layer who they work most closely with, who are primarily white and male, suddenly find themselves doing a worse job. And so white men, these stats are slightly old, but 
in, I think, 2018 or 2019, the Lenin Foundation found that white men make up about 30% of the entry-level cohorts in businesses, in those junior roles. But by the time we get to the C-suite, that's ballooned up to about 68%. So white males are the only group who have essentially the opposite of the glass ceiling, the only group who look above themselves at the beginning of their careers and see themselves more represented rather than less. But because of that comfort and that expectation of seeing themselves continually represented, when someone is appointed who isn't mirroring that in both whiteness and maleness, we see that white male senior leaders report feeling less able to personally identify with the business and feeling less able to invest in the business. And so their work output gets worse. And so that leader's chance of success entirely diminishes because her team is not there to do the work that is necessary for success. And the other thing that happens when these people disinvest is they disinvest from doing what is any manager's role, which is managing their team. But they don't disinvest from that equally. What we see and what we have reported and what the data shows is they disinvest from their junior team members who aren't like them, who aren't male and who aren't white. And so then we're stopping the next generation, the next cohort of potential progression from coming up because they're not getting that mentorship back to that sponsorship conversation. They're not getting that investment early in their careers. And so we're stopping them from fulfilling what could be their progression potential. I mean, you raised so many points there. And I I think that point around white men seeing themselves more represented and that opposite thing of kind of the glass ceiling definitely stuck with me from your talk as well. What I'm thinking about is what do we do in organisations? And I know you don't have all the answers, Sophie. I would just really want to understand your thoughts on it. But what do we do in organisations to enable that? Like, is that education? Is that data? Do we need to make this data more visible? Do we need to manage, you know, have more metrics about manager performance and engagement in those things? What, where do organisations start to go towards solving that challenge? Because it's so big. It's huge. So that's why I chose to do my TEDx on it, because I don't think anyone's talking about it. And I think if we can make people aware of that, that's probably a pretty good first step. And a really easy thing to do is if you're building a company from the ground up, don't have a disproportionate number of white men in that senior leadership position, because if they are the only group that's growing, there's something within businesses that is uplifting one group and not another. I'm not saying don't have any senior men in your leadership, but your leadership should represent the makeup of your business and the makeup of your business should represent the context that you're working in. 14% of the UK is black. So 14% of your team should be black. 14% of your senior leadership should be black. In London, that's 40%. 40% of the population of London is non-white or black and global majority. And so that should be more or less represented within your business at all levels. So EY, the, I guess, like consultancy firm, there's a case study of this in my book, Millennial Black, out now. Um, (laughs) We will also link to that, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) They modelled it like this. They were like, okay, here's a population sample. Here's the uh, representation within our business. And so we would expect promotions to be X percentage of this group and X percentage of that group, not as a quota, but as a watch out. So mm-hmm. 
People weren't forced to promote people who weren't ready to fill some kind of quota system, going back to the idea of having that belief that the best person is in the role. But they were asked, if that wasn't happening, to explain why. And that really led to people being able to examine their own unconscious biases. It led to them being able to find out if training opportunities weren't being communicated equally to all groups. It led them to find out if new role and progression opportunities weren't being communicated equally to all groups and allowed them to be much more representative of the demographic within their entire business when they formed their leaderships. Brilliant. Thank you for that. And I guess the other thing that's in my mind is, you know, we talked there about the managers and the leaders and and how we make sure that opportunities are visible. I liked your point earlier that you you don't count yourself out, like you always count yourself into an opportunity. And I think that's a sort of a mindset that other people could take forward for themselves as well. Like, I'm not going to count myself out. We talked a bit about sponsorship. And interestingly, uh, when I spoke to Sylvia and Hewlett about sponsorship, she's talked about, actually, it's the, the role of the individual is to seek sponsorship so she said it's not really on an organization to provide sponsors what the individual should be doing is to think about what's the sponsorship I need and she talked about something that the individual could do is go and proactively build a relationship with that sponsor and she said well if I think about how could I go and help that person rather than starting with how could that sponsor help me it's a good way of starting to build a relationship with a sponsor so I suppose that's two things an individual can do go build proactive relationships with the sponsors that you need and also count yourself in are there any other things that you think in terms of helping people with progression that people could do or actions that people could take at an, at an individual level? That's really interesting about actively seeking out sponsors, because I think that's really hard to do. Sponsors Agreed. are traditionally the most senior people in business who have that sort of wider purview, who have that wider visibility, who are able to advocate and essentially like create pathways for people. And it can be really intimidating to go to a senior leader in your business and say please will you help me I don't know how many people would be able to actually action that what I think is really useful is modeling that yourself and so I talk a lot about a lady gang so lady gang is probably like my proudest achievement and so a lady gang it's a group of people from all kinds of genders and backgrounds. I know it's called a lady gang. I probably shouldn't have called it that, but I was in my 20s and I didn't know what I was doing. So your lady gang is the people who you invest in and who invest back in you. And it's really similar to a concept called Shine Theory, developed by Anne Friedman and Amina Tuso. And it's basically this process of mutual investment. You practice job interviews together. You practice salary negotiations together. They know what you earn. They know when you last had a pay rise or a promotion. They know what you're good at. They're the people who say good things about you behind your back and who mention your name in rooms of opportunity. And essentially, you do the same back. It can't be a one-way system. And so I think when formalised sponsorship, mentoring, all of these things, opportunities aren't readily available to us. We can create our own groups, we can create our own support systems, we can create our own communities and you will be amazed by the things that happen when you start advocating for people and people start advocating back for you. It's really transformational. 
I love that concept. And I think maybe some people might informally have some of those relationships, but whether it's called Shine Theory or Lady Gang or people call it another thing, I think actually it's almost being conscious of that community and thinking mm-hmm. about well, who's in it. Mm-hmm. How are they supporting me? How am I supporting them? When was the last time I spoke to them? What what help do I need from them? What help can I give them? I think when you make it more of a concept, then you're kind of a bit more conscious of that community and what the role it plays for you in your development. Yeah, I've got like my Lady Gang, none of them have any question of the fact that they are one part of my lady gang and two (laughs) we are called the lady gang (laughs) and you know if they need help with anything me or someone in that group will be their first port of call am i getting paid correctly this hr issue is happening how is this being handled do you know of an opportunity or people come to me i'm very lucky people come to me very often for work opportunities but I'm actually not in a position where I can take on too many of them at the moment. And so I know that I have this really trusted group of people who I can recommend and feel really proud to have my name attached to. And I know that when they get opportunities that they can't take on in that moment, they will do the same because I think the crux of it is we have been told for too long as marginalised people, whether that is people who identify as female, whether that is the queer community, the trans community, whether that is black and global majority people, we are told too often that we are lucky to be in spaces and that there only needs to be one person like us in that space. And that forces us into a relationship of competition rather than a relationship of collaboration. And once we can reset that, once we can see that competing actually doesn't help anyone except the businesses and institutions that want to pit us against each other and say that one is plenty, once we know that we can collaborate and work together, we can make amazing things happen. Final question for you, Sophie, that we ask all of our guests on the Squigger Craze podcast, which is for your best piece of career advice or a piece of career advice that has that has helped you or you think might help other people, could you possibly share your words of wisdom with our listeners? Yeah, Lady Gang would usually be it. But since I've really talked to you about Lady Gang, I would just say be brave. It's about that thing I was talking about earlier of not counting yourself out of opportunities. If you want to do something, you can put yourself forward for it if you feel like you're ready or if you feel like you're almost ready. You don't have to be 100% there to make a start. So don't count yourself out of things. Let the people who are making the decisions make that decision, but put yourself in that consideration space. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Sophie on progression. As I mentioned at the start, this is the last in our current Ask the Expert series, where we have covered conversations with Celeste Headley, happiness with Mo Gaudat, feedback with Kim Scott and Tria Bryant, purpose with Dan Cable, sponsorship with Sylvia and Hewlett, and today progression with Sophie. And good news, as well as all those episodes that you can catch up on if you missed any, we've also got a competition running this week, so that's the 21st of June, to win the books from all the authors in this series. It's being run over on Instagram at AmazingIf, so head over there if you want to enter and be in with the chance to win those books. But please do let us know what resonated from this episode today, but also from the other conversations that we had with people in this series. And we would love to know what you would like to hear about in our next episode ask the expert series which will be probably a couple of months time we can't promise that we can get all the people but we can certainly try and we quite like the challenge so just email us at helen and sarah at squigglycareers.com love to hear your thoughts and we will do whatever we can but thank you for listening today and i'll be back with sarah next week bye everyone Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 